Well, I'm continuing to kind of work my way through the Gospel of Mark in a helter-skelter kind of way. This morning we're going to be looking at, uh, I think, a parable that's familiar to many. And it gives us, I've been asking, asking for the last couple of weeks, even if it's familiar to you, try to imagine hearing it for the first time. Try to imagine that you're one of those hearers of what Jesus is teaching and saying and talking. I really believe the Holy Spirit will just show you things that you may have never seen in that. And like so many things in our life, familiarity sometimes can cause us to, to allow it to lose the impact that it has on our life or should have in our life. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that as we look into your word, Holy Spirit, it is a living thing. It's a living book. It's a living story. Father, I pray that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts, continue to grow us, encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us, correct us, whatever is needed. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that in each one of our lives. For your glory, Jesus, all for your glory. Amen. So we're going to look at a scene where Jesus is teaching in a really strange place, especially to the people of that time. You know, many people, they didn't know who this guy was or what he was really all about, but a lot of them were beginning to call him rabbi, which means teacher. And in those days, in that history, the history of that time, if you were a teacher in the Jewish people, they were used to maybe teaching, mentoring one-on-one, the rabbi with his student, possibly in the schools of the rabbis, which there were a number of them. But most commonly, if there was going to be a Jewish teacher, he was going to be teaching in the synagogue. And we do see many, many times when Jesus went to a new place, a new city, a new area, he went directly to the synagogue to teach because that would have been traditionally where the Jews would be taught. So imagine you're at this scene where Jesus has been doing some amazing things, healing and deliverance, doing some teaching that they could describe only with power and authority that they've not seen before. So the crowds are starting to gather around him. They're starting to follow him. Jesus can't hardly find a time to get away to just commune with the Father. And here he's out, and the crowds have gotten so large, he decides to go out in a boat. Now you can imagine what this would seem like and look like to the religious leaders especially, but how unique and different this would be to the Jewish people, period. It'd be odd to be being teaching a crowd on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, but it even gets weirder When you think about it, when this guy gets in the boat and they push him out a little ways into the water, and now he's preaching and teaching from a boat. A strange scene, to say the least. And then Jesus begins to teach in a different way than that they would be used to. And he begins to teach in parables. Parables. We might call them stories. We might call them illustrations. We might come up with different ways to describe his teaching, but he calls them, and the Bible calls them parables. So we're going to look and join that crowd as he teaches a parable. And it's in Mark chapter 4. You can also find it in in, uh, Matthew 13. Those of you who were at... Sunday school, we're blessed this morning as Kelly shared her testimony and stole a lot of my thunder. (laughs) No, it was awesome. It was awesome sharing of her testimony. 
Starting in verse 1, it says, And he began, Jesus, he began to teach again by the sea. And such a very, very great multitude gathered to hear him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And it came about that as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it and yielded no crop. And other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop, produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And as soon as he was alone with his followers, along with the twelve, they began asking him about the parables. Now, as Jesus is teaching in this parable, if you were not familiar with it, you may wonder, what in the world is he talking about? If we are familiar with it, we already know the background to the story because Jesus does explain it. But if you're a first-time here, what's the point? What's the main point of this parable? Is it about the farmer? Is it about the sower? Is he careless where he's throwing his seed? Is it about the seed? Is it bad seed or is it good seed? Is it a mixture of seed? Is the theme the seed? Or is it all about being a good agronomist, knowing all about the soil and the soil types? What's the purpose of the parable? The point of the parable. Well, for us to understand, and I want to give a little background on parables, because there's a lot of parables in Jesus' teaching. A parable isn't really an illustration, the way we might think of an illustration. If I'm going to use an illustration, typically what you do if you're going to illustrate something is you share a truth first, and then you do something to illustrate that truth. For example, I could tell you the truth about something as simple as gravity. And you could all look at me and say, what? I've never heard of this thing called gravity. And I'm going to illustrate that truth, and I'm going to just drop the mic And the mic's not going to float up into the sky. It's going to go to the ground because of gravity. But I'm not going to drop the mic. That would be an illustration. Sharing the truth. Illustrating the truth to help us understand and believe the truth. A parable is a little different than that. I would like us to think of a parable more like a doorway. If you can imagine a doorway up here. And I'm standing on the outside of that doorway. And Jesus is standing in there teaching. And he shares this parable. What's going to happen? If I'm standing here and I'm looking at this and I'm listening to Jesus tell this story, I'm going, what the heck is he talking about? Who is this strange guy sitting in a boat trying to teach me and I don't know what he's talking about? I turn and I walk away. Or I can be standing at that doorway and I hear this story and something about the story catches me and I want more. I want to know more, and I walk through the doorway. When Jesus is using parables, that's a picture for us. What is he really saying to us? How are we receiving it? 
what is he trying to teach and trying to share? The interesting thing about a parable, this doorway, there's a key to understanding the parable. And until we have that key, we can't unlock the understanding of that parable. And he even says, you know what? If you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables. So we need to understand that there is a key that will unlock them. And Jesus himself gives us the key to understanding this parable in verses 13 and 14 of Mark chapter 4. It says this, And he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. There's the key. Jesus tells us this story is about the seed, about the word. The word unlocks it. And the soil is a critical aspect of the story. The seed is the word. And once we begin to understand the seed is the word, the sower is sowing the word, the preacher, the teacher is teaching the word. That's the key to understanding it. And then as he goes on, and in every parable, and especially here in chapter 4, you know, when you go through it, there's three, four parables right in a row, and they all build on one another. And unless you realize that they're actually building on one another, they're neat stories. But what do they mean? It's easy for us to misunderstand them completely. Jesus is giving them an opportunity by teaching in parables to decide, you know what, I want to go deeper. I want to understand. I want to know what this, the master, this rabbi is teaching us. I want to get it. I'm not satisfied. Jesus didn't use parables to blind and confuse the people. He used parables because he knew many hearts were already blinded and already hardened. And there's a principle in the scriptures that are made clear. The more we know about the word of God, the more accountable we will all be held. And because of that, I believe Jesus' teaching in parables one of the reasons and one of the purposes of those parables was to demonstrate mercy. To demonstrate mercy. Jesus knew his audience. Jesus knew who would hear and receive. He knew who would walk away from that door because of a hardened heart. By speaking in parables, they were responding without understanding. Because if we understand, we're more accountable. Boy, for us in here that have got the word of God, we know some of the word of God. We know about the word of God. We know the salvation message. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have at least a partial understanding of what it means to make him Lord of our life, to surrender our lives to him and to live a life for him. We are much more accountable to that person who has, than that person who has no understanding whatsoever. And the Bible is clear that all of us, believers and unbelievers, are going to stand before the Lord one day. As believers, we won't stand there to be condemned because of our unbelief in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but we will be judged and we will be rewarded according to what we know and what we did. So what we do is important, not in terms of us getting saved, but in terms of us living out our lives as, he re- as if he really is Lord of our lives. 
And this parable addresses this in a powerful way, in a very convicting way. So we're going to look at Jesus' explanation of this parable. Because even the disciples are saying, what's this mean? And he tells them, you know what, you guys and you gals that are following me around, my disciples and the others that are gathered around and follow me wherever I go, you are blessed because the mysteries are going to be revealed to you or already have been revealed to you. The mysteries. Well, we have a different deal for us. We have the Word of God and we've got the Holy Spirit. The mysteries are revealed to us in powerful ways. It doesn't mean there's not new revelation and applying some of these things that we learn. But we have this step up, so to speak. But yes, we also have greater responsibility because of what we do know. Jesus said clearly the key here is the word of God is the seed. And the seed comes to be planted in our heart. And the seed has the potential to bear fruit. But the seed, not every seed grows into a plant that bears fruit. And not all the fruit is the same. It depends upon the soil that it lands in. You know, we can, as believers, read the word slash seed. We can study the seed. We can analyze the seed. We can get to this place where we know the seed. We might even love the seed. But until we proclaim it, it bears very little fruit. And we have a responsibility to proclaim. Notice it says, the sower sowed the seed. Until the seed is sown, until the word is proclaimed, it's not going to bear fruit. And we are called to not only bear fruit in our lives, but to do all that we can to create environments and enable people that the Lord and the Holy Spirit can bear fruit in their lives also. So Jesus goes on and explains the four types of soils, the four types of human hearts. Now I'm going to just start with this. People don't agree, theologians don't agree, on whether these four heart types or soil types, are they all four different Types of soil in believers, are they all believers? Or are some of them not believers, and some are believers? It's not really the main point of this, but just to let you know where I stand, and you may agree or not, I believe the first two types of soil are not believers. I believe the next two are actually believers. The group that they really argue about is the third soil type. I just tell you that so that you can look at that and maybe from that perspective. But the reality is, it doesn't matter. We want to be good soil. We want to be the good soil. In Mark chapter 4, verse 15, he is talking about the hard ground. He says, some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Near the path near the side of the road where the ground is packed. It's really hard from people walking across it and people traveling on it. And the seed gets thrown there. And it's interesting here, some translations say the birds, some translations say Satan. 
It's interesting if you look into future parables and you remember birds hmm, might be Satan. The mustard seed, for example. The birds of the air sit in the mustard seed plant. Another story for another day. People's hearts can be hard to the word of God. And when we encounter them, it's really frustrating for us as if we're, as we're the sower trying to sow the word. That hard ground needs to be broken up, but it's not ground that you or I can break up. Our persuasive arguments, our wonderful logic, isn't going to break up the ground. The Holy Spirit needs to break up the ground. I believe these hard-hearted people are those that would maybe approach the door, but they aren't going to stay there very long. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear about it. Don't share that Jesus stuff with me. Don't go and get all religious on me. Oh, you're one of them. They don't want to hear it. They don't want anything to do with it. It can get discouraging, but we got to remember, we are only ones to sow the seed. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can break up that hardened ground. Doesn't mean it's all wasted seed. Because we never know for sure what God's going to do with that hardened ground. So we can't let that type of person or that type of heart stop us from sowing that seed. Like I said, it can be so frustrating. It can be so hurtful. It can be intimidating. But we're just called to sow that seed. It has to be broken up. And it's not your job or my job to break it up. The second one is what he called the rocky soil in verse 16. It says, others are like seed that's sowing on rocky places. They hear the word at once, and at once they receive it with great joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This can be real deceiving. This would be where there's that that amazing, enthusiastic, emotional response to the word. There can be environments that create such an emotional response. And somebody says, come on up and pray the prayer. And they come up and pray the prayer. And then they walk away, believing they're saved. But the problem with that emotional, enthusiastic response, as soon as the emotion or the enthusiasm is gone, so is the word. So is the word. There's no root that grows. Because beneath that thin layer of soil, that that emotionalism, that enthusiastic attitude, that environment that's so conducive to that, You know, they can even sense the Spirit as they're surrounded with people who are worshiping God. They sense it. They know what it is, maybe. They know something's different. It feels different. So in the moment of emotionalism, the moment they come with a burden and they believe with all their heart at that instant that the answer is Jesus, and in their emotion, they pray a prayer. But as soon as things go bad, When tribulation comes, persecution comes because there's no root. Sometimes they're still living off the roots of other people. 
maybe families, parents. Their faith has not really been made their own. The roots aren't their own when tribulation comes. Spurgeon wrote these words, The religion born of mere excitement will die when the excitement is over. Doesn't mean there's something wrong with emotionalism. We're created as emotional beings. Meeting Jesus for the first time should be an emotional event. Nothing wrong with being enthusiastic. But is it real? So that's why when we share and we sow the word and it takes root, we, we want to make sure that there's an opportunity for roots to get established. The hard soil, the rocky soil, the third type of soil is seed sown among the thorns. In verse 18, Jesus is explaining, he says, Still others are like seeds sown among the thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. Notice they hear the word. They receive the word. But they let the cares of the world come. Cares of the world. It can be so many things. We are sojourners in this foreign land called the world. Our real home is heaven. But boy, this world has got a lot of things that entice our flesh. And it says that, that the word can be choked out by these thorns. And one of those thorns that cares the world, work, our jobs, recreation, entertainment, all of these things in and of themselves, are they evil? No, and they're not evil unless they're choking out the word. It says the deceitfulness of wealth. So many people believe the lie, the world's lie, that our security is in our wealth. Our security is in how much money we have. Our security is in Christ and nowhere else. All the wealth in the world can disappear in a moment. What is our security? And desires for other things. Man, you could come up with a long list of other things, couldn't you? The stuff. All the stuff whether it's material stuff, whether it's reputation, whether it's positions of power, all this stuff. And he's cautioning us that these are the things that can choke out the Word. The Word grows. The Word of God grows. But so does everything else. So does everything else. I, I personally have the opinion this is the danger of the modern church today. The Word of God is received. We hear it. We receive it. It has meaning and significance in our life. But it's sown amongst all the thorns and all the weeds of the world. We are pulled in so many different directions. There's continuous compromise. And it's not that it's not a real thing. It's not that we didn't really believe it and receive it. It's just that there's very, very, very little fruit because of all the weeds. God calls us to bear fruit, to be fruit bearers. What are the weeds in our lives that are choking out the words so that the word doesn't bear the fruit? God's intention is for the word of God in our lives 
producing fruit. That's his intent. And finally, we get to the good soil. Are we all good soil? Amen, right? That's what we want to be. We want to be good soil. We don't want to be any of those other soils. We don't want to be that one that gets all the fruit, doesn't produce because it's choked out by the things of the world, the weeds in the world. We want to be good fruit or good soil to produce good fruit. It says in verse 20, Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept the word, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even a 100 times what was sown. The Word of God is accepted, it's received, it takes in effect in our lives. When it says received, it's different than just hearing it. We receive it. And as we receive the Word, it's important to us. It brings about the desired changes in our lives that God intends for the Word to do. The work that the Holy Spirit will do in our lives as we receive the Word. And because we receive the Word, it produces fruit. God does that. The Holy Spirit does that in our lives. The purpose of the Word is fulfilled. Don't we want our lives to be fulfilling the purpose of the Word of God that He has given us? It's accepted and received. Something happens. It's a mystery. You know, we can get pretty good at trying to explain to somebody how a kernel of corn becomes an 8, 10-foot tall plant with one, maybe two, maybe three ears, well, two, let's stop there. Ears of corn, well, the whole bunch of kernels. That one kernel has went past 20, it went past 40, it went past 60, it's went past a hundredfold return. How did that happen? Well, most of us can get it as far as we know that the farmer put it in the ground, the sower sowed it. But how did it happen? Now, some of you that are geneticists and study plants, maybe you can give a better answer than somebody else. But I don't think we still know exactly how in the world that seed that dies first comes to life and produces. There's a mystery to it. God knows. And the seed that's sown in our lives, it's similar to that. We don't understand. We're to cooperate with God. We're to to try and do our part as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. But how that fruit grows is such a mystery. And I especially want to encourage us when we're the ones sowing the word, sowing the seed, wondering, God, it looks like such good soil. They're so ready to receive the word. It's there. And then we step back and watch with our judgmental spirit. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Well, they're doing a little bit better here, but geez, look at over here. Where's the fruit? Guess what? It's not our job to grow the fruit. The Holy Spirit will grow the fruit. Can we help encourage it? It's kind of like the farmer. Can you do some things to help that plant produce more fruit? Of course we can. In the natural, we know what we need to do. We need to take care of that plant. We need to try to keep the weeds down. We need to maybe fertilize. We need to pray for water. There's things that we can do. So we can do things to help people. That's called discipleship. It's called mentoring. We're called to cast the seed, and once the Holy Spirit does his work in a person's heart and they receive that seed, now it's our job then to come alongside them, to disciple them, to help them be in position that fruit can be produced, fruit can grow. If nothing happens... Once the word has been sown, 
something's probably wrong. So we need to not be judging others. We need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us. Is our life producing fruit? Or are there way too many weeds that they're choking out the plant, the word, and not allowing the fruit to be produced? Jesus goes on and tells us that we have a responsibility when we understand the word. In Mark chapter 4, going on to verse 21, Jesus said to them, Do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on the lampstand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The light, the truth, the word of God, the seed, once it's been received, what do we do with it? It was addressed a little bit this morning in our Sunday school class. We're to share. We're to share. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you, in your garage, discovered a cure for the most fatal disease known to mankind? What would you do with it? I'm not going to tell anyone. I discovered it. It's all mine. Well, hopefully nobody would think that way. We would have a moral responsibility. And hopefully, especially as Christians, we would know we have a spiritual responsibility. We would have a responsibility to share that everywhere we could. If you had the cure for your spouse, your best friend, an acquaintance, someone in the community, and you knew what the cure was, would you keep silent or would you keep quiet? God forbid. We have the cure. We know the cure for the most serious disease that's fatal to all mankind unless they receive the antidote. The disease is sin. The antidote is Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility not to keep it hidden under the bed somewhere. Not to allow fear of man or fear of rejection to keep us silent. We have a responsibility to share the only antidote there is for eternal damnation being spending the rest of eternity in hell, that's what we have. And he's saying, as he goes into what appears to be almost a second parable, he's saying, share it. We have a responsibility to share it and spread the truth. In verse 24 and 25, it's like he gives an interesting caution. He says, consider carefully what you do here. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Notice, he's talking about what you hear. Be careful about what you hear. We sometimes turn this into some materialistic thing. It's not the point. He's talking about the Word of God still. He's talking about what you hear. Be careful what you hear. Be careful what teacher you're listening to. Be careful for what information you're allowing to come in to your soul, to your spirit. Be careful. God will respond to us as we respond to him and his word. If what we're taking in is not truth, it's not going to bear fruit. And it could get worse than that. Given more. Given more of what? Isn't that an interesting thing when he says, you know, to the one who has, more will be given. More of what? 
I don't believe it's materialistic at all. I believe what will be given will be more understanding, more desire for the word, more truth, more light in each and every one of us that we can share. To each one will be given more as we're faithful to receiving the truth. And as we do that, there will be more blessings because the Word of God is filled with blessings for His people. Be careful what you hear. There's a lot of Gospels out there promoting lots of blessings but have nothing to do with the Word of God. Be careful what we hear. But as we are in the Word of God and we're careful for what we hear and we understand the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's teaching us and we're listening to sound teaching, always test teaching. I can't tell you how many times over the years I said, don't believe me. Check it out. Check it out. The last thing I want is to teach something that's false. Check it out. Be careful what we hear. And a reminder again, the Word of God works invisibly in us. The last scriptures I'm going to look at this morning are in Mark 4:26. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed in the ground. We're still talking about the word. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. I want us to share that for just a minute because we, we do have a partnership with God. He wants us to work alongside of him. He wants us to be those that are sowing the word, spreading the good news of the gospel. He wants us to do those things. And to me, when I read these verses, it should encourage us because You know, unless you've got a real evangelistic gift, once you get two or three slaps in the face when you try to share the Word of God, you go, "Ah, enough of that. I'm not stupid. We back off. I'm encouraged by this because it just says, Mike, just keep sowing the Word. You don't know what's going to happen to it. You don't understand it. And some it might be growing rapidly. Others it might be growing very slowly. Others the Word may have been eaten by the birds. I don't know, but it's not my responsibility. It's his. All by itself, the soil produces as the Holy Spirit does the work. And notice the last part, and I may be taking too much liberty here with my interpretation of this, so give you a heads up. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Don't you get impatient when someone doesn't accept Christ. Man, it just makes such good sense. Jesus has got the answer. He's the solution. What's wrong with you? How much clearer can I make it? Get rid of the weeds. Produce fruit. Oh, I could just get crazy when it doesn't happen the way I want it to. He says... When it's ripe, I'll harvest it. You just keep sowing the fruit, sowing the seed. You just keep sowing the seed. Let me worry about the fruit. Let's close in prayer. 
Lord, once again, I, I pray, Lord, that if there's anything I said that it's not of your spirit, I pray it just falls to the ground and does no damage. But, Lord, I pray what is the truth here would resonate in our spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, would bring the kind of conviction that is needed to remove some of the weeds that might be hindering our ability to produce fruit. God, let us be good soil. We want to be good soil. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that that fear, spirit of fear or spirit of rejection would have no place when it comes to sowing the word of God. Father, that we would sow with confidence knowing that once we release it, it's up to you by your Holy Spirit. You will bring in the harvest when the time is right. And we don't understand and see all that you know and understand and see. So I pray, Lord, that we would be good soil, but we would also be good sowers, and that we would become even better disciplers to help others to grow good fruit, produce good fruit. Lord, I pray now as we go our different directions, as we leave this place, pray your Holy Spirit would be leading, guiding, directing us. God, I pray for those divine encounters where we can share the good news of the gospel, where we can sow seed. God, I pray you would also give us the great privilege of being there when you bring in that harvest. Father, what an excitement it is to know that you've been part of the process of someone coming to know Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would protect us, watch over us. Pray that you would continue to encourage us as we hear your Holy Spirit take steps of faith to advance your kingdom. Ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.